What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Dream Chasing 101 podcast. Today, we are joined by one of the funniest people on Twitter. Um, and yeah, we've managed to connect and, you know, just chat about the world of social media. So I'll leave it up to Anna just to give us a bit of background info as to who she is and what she does. Hey, I'm Anna Melissa. I am <laughs> same handle on Twitter. <laughs> um, I currently work in the world of social and social strategy, brand strategy. I'm kind of all over the place in terms of the digital world. Um, and yeah, excited to talk to you guys about what I've been <laughs> up to lately. <laughs> and Anna, though, the one question we always ask on the podcast, and it's always the first question is when you were growing up, what was your idea of like your dream job and how far are you from that right now? Oh my goodness. So much like um, the very stereotypical Asian family, <laughs> I was, I had this dream that I was going to be a doctor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so from what, like, I think I believe I was in the sixth grade, I was like obsessively looking up what I needed to do in order to be a doctor. I was like, okay, well, I have this whole plan, had it all planned out. I was like, okay, I need to get like a 4.0 GPA. I need to have all of these extracurricular like things lined up. And then like, I think, I, so what, I was 12 years old. And so I had been, I did everything I needed to do to be a doctor at that point. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be like a psychiatrist maybe. Yeah. Um, and so I got to college. Um, suddenly, I, re regardless of my almost like perfect track record, I got rejected by every single school that I applied to. Um, wow. <laughs> every single school, 4.0 GPA rejected every single school. And I was like, okay, um, something is wrong here. <laughs> And I like panic applied to this um to this um local university um, uh it was uh Loyola Marymount and so I was like okay well this is the only school I didn't apply to like it's either this or I don't go to college <laughs> and I got I obviously got into that one and so I was like okay well I'll take psychology as a major and then we'll just kind of go from there um and so I believe it was the second to the last semester sec like I think it was my no no it was my first semester of my senior year and I like sat down and I was like working at this um domestic violence like rehab type center and I was like sat there and I was like this is a big responsibility <laughs> like I <laughs> do not know <laughs> if I am equipped <laughs> to do this long term because this is a very big responsibility. And so I started, I was already kind of posting social content and an opportunity came up at a pretty big agency um, nearby. And I was like, I'm going to apply to see <laughs> if I can be the social intern and I and it just kind of went from there. I am very far <laughs> from what I imagined <laughs> that I would be doing. And I'm sure my parents are like, that's not what you said you were going to do. <laughs> the parents are like, yeah, this this isn't quite um, medicine or anything of that kind. <laughs> but 
it's actually quite funny because dealing in like social media i'm sure your psychology background has kind of played a role and helped you in some way has it not yes so that's one thing that i've kind of realized as i've like gotten deeper into like this whole strategy side right Mm. so one of the things that i always i was having a conversation with uh, a friend and he was saying that um one of the things that he loves about social is that at like when you dig into the strategy side at its very core it is cultural anthropology right so it's like how do all of these little subcultures and how do these particular target demographics like how do they all behave like what do they like what do they dislike all of those little behavioral characteristics are really just it's (laughs) if when you have knowledge of that and you have an understanding of that your marketing is so much better yeah um because you can really speak to that target demo so i definitely think that just like my whole like passion that i've always had for human behavior and like what makes people passionate about different things what makes people happy what makes people sad like all of those little things that trigger human emotions um i think have all i think that's definitely helped me um with what i do on a regular basis and just before we go deeper into your social media journey you worked on uh, the American Idol show back in 2015. <laughs> yes. Just your thoughts on that experience. How was it for you, especially, you know, because that's quite a big production. That's one of the biggest shows mm-hmm. worldwide. How was it for you to kind of interact on that level of broadcast and, you know, be that hands-on with the show? It was actually really funny because so growing up, I was uh, very much the performing arts kid. I was the drama theater kid. <laughs> and you're a singer. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. So my, my parents, um, for the longest time, sent me to go get like, uh, go to get a vocal coach. And I was essentially like going to classes at least for like two hours once a week. Um, and I was <laughs> once on the other side of the, those auditions. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a singer. <laughs> and then somebody told me that I looked like Bruno Mars and I quit on the spot. <laughs> I was like, no, I draw the line here. <laughs> this doesn't cut it for me. <laughs> it was so funny, but like I was actually supposed to initially run the Periscope for the um, American Idol auditions. And then... I think they were short on people to um, um, to audition people, and I, and so they just kind of looked at me and they're like, "Hey, can you do it?" And I was like, "Uh, okay. yeah." <laughs> it's like such a different experience. So, but it's actually very interesting because the approach I think a lot of people don't really realize is that when you are looking for people to join these television shows majority of what they look for is one well one talent but also two like are you entertaining and can you create good content (laughs) that's really what it is at the end of the day (laughs) it's like you're either going to be really good and you know be that super talent or you're going to be really bad and be part of the you know south african idols we have the wooden mic 
where mm-hmm. they literally have a, a two-hour play of the worst auditions and that usually gets oh, like the yes. biggest hits so <laughs> yeah it's always interesting to just to, to see that kind of production i think most people grow up watching idols it's just yes. like something you do it's like part of the family the family tradition yes it is <laughs> how um did you pick up on anything there that may have influenced your decision going forward in social like knowing that you were supposed to be doing periscope back then did that kind of you know maybe push you further into the world of you know the social could be my future um i think what really what it really was what well so <laughs> i started to really get into social around 20 no 2009 ish um back when twitter was still like a little baby and mm. no one everyone was using the platform so differently like I initially hopped on because during that time, athletes w- like would go on Twitter and they would go on these yeah. like massive like responding sprees and stuff. They'd like answer to like 200 fans at a time. And I remember just kind of hopping on there and like I was like, OK, well, if I can get Dwight Howard to tweet <laughs> me back, <laughs> I can die happy. I relate to this so much. <laughs> and it was just so funny because um i started um i got on a 2009 season the lakers had signed runner test in the off season and i one of my friends at the time was like this um massive runner test fan and i hated his guts because the year before that the lakers had played Houston um in the playoffs and like I remember our test got all in Kobe's face and I was like oh look at this guy he's garbage I hate him he's so terrible I hate his guts and but my friend was like oh click this link and at the time like there was like that whole surge of people like Bieber um big celebrities um athletes you know people like Stefan Marbury were like hopping on these video broadcasts very similar to like IG live now yeah um and so I clicked on it and I was like you know what this is gonna be this is gonna be entertaining and what I didn't realize was that in clicking the link it wasn't like a broadcast it was essentially like a zoom link (laughs) (laughs) and it turned my camera on and i was like oh my god what is happening and ron artes was like no get out of here you can't be you can't be in here you're a little kid you're gonna get me in trouble and i was like listen i me being the super entitled young teenager that i was i was like no I deserve to be here. You can't kick me out. I'm not doing anything wrong. Oh and he way. responds, and he was like, "Listen, like, okay, you can stay, but you ha- you can't be awkward. You got to be cool." And I was like, "Okay, cool." And then so, uh, we hit it off. Um, we actually got along extremely well. And he like he messages me. He's like, "Oh, you should you should text me." And I was like, "That sounds like a terrible idea. I'm gonna do it." <laughs> I'm all for that. (laughs) 
And so we just kind of kept going back and forth, back and forth. And one day, um, my sister was, I think, having her 20th birthday party. And mind you, this is like cupcake and balloons party, not like, <laughs> oh, we're like going to drink and get wasted. Know, do all kinds of crazy <laughs> things. So <laughs> I sent our test, our, um, our contact information. And so, and he texted us at like 10 o'clock at night. He was like, hey guys, I'm hungry. And I was like, yeah, I should come by. You know, we have so much Filipino food. I'm like, and when, and he goes, you, you should come outside. And I was like, no, this is not real. So we didn't answer it. Like, okay, like we thought it was just a joke. Five minutes later, sends question marks. And I was like, um, maybe we should check if he's actually outside. <laughs> We opened the door, and at the time it was Twitvid, I think, um, and he was broadcasting live. He goes, "Your house done been hoodalized. He's run our test, guys," and he was tweeting it nonstop, <laughs> like tweeting these videos. And so people were confused, like, "Who is this young <laughs> girl?" And so, like, all the videos started going viral, and I was like, "Look." dude we can we can create so much stupid content together let's do it and let's go viral and before we before we knew it like it was just like little videos here and there like a, that video of like Rondo Tess like joking like pass to Kobe my paycheck pass to Kobe yeah. all these little funny like little viral moments and I was like I think I can do this for a living <laughs> I was like, this would be really fun because like when you understand the types of content that people really enjoy mm. and you you have that, you have your finger on the pulse and you're just like, I know exactly what's going to hit. I know what people are into. I know how to speak to the audience. How do we then take that, take those insights, take that knowledge and then just make money out of it yeah. <laughs> and make a career out of it? <laughs> it's, it's actually a very crazy story. And you just picked up what, like three thousand followers, basically over this past, what's it been like a year? Yeah, about roughly. Uh, like I think since it's quarantine, basically. People like me, <laughs> they like seeing me self-destruct on the timeline. <laughs> and I actually sometimes I just it feels like I'm constantly liking your tweets because you put out so much, so many tweets, and I'm like, okay. Like she's probably thinking this guy is just like spamming, spamming me to get to get him to get you to come onto my podcast. But, um, <laughs> um, where do you where do you That's find so like, you know, you mentioned like the internal thought like I can do this for a living. So mm-hmm. just on your you know the personal brand side, people love saying personal brand. Um, mm how do you channel that energy like con- to consistently put out you know what people want to see i think what's actually i think what the thing that when it comes to like that thought process at least for me what i've noticed is that when people start to try when it when it comes to like the whole idea of personal brand i think a lot of people take that as an opportunity to kind of almost um, pick and choose the parts of themselves that they like to put on the timeline. It's almost very polished. It seems it sometimes can get to be a little, I don't know if I want to say like boring, but it is a little yeah. boring sometimes when you start to be like, okay, well, I'm only going to tweet about marketing or I'm mm. only going to tweet about this. 
when really in reality, like you are just a sum of all of your interests and loves and passions and all that stuff. And so for me, I like just honestly, I've realized that when I'm very honest and very like raw and like, I don't really care what people think about me. Like, I think people resonate with that. Um, I think people resonate a lot with when you kind of just say what people want to say, but they're too scared to say it kind of thing. Um, I've realized that like, sometimes it's like, what people look for is that person that's gonna hop on the timeline and tweet like that <laughs> and tweet like that one friend that just does not care at all yeah <laughs> and i've realized that it's like i feel like that's the best way to do it because i mean as marketers i notice on like marketing twitter and stuff everyone's like oh you have to be authentic but it's like how yeah, authentic exactly <laughs> don't polish everything you know you still need to have a yeah. kind of role in a sense, like yes. you need to still show that it's not everything isn't perfect all the time. Like, don't put yes. commas and full stops where they need to be all the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you think um, cancel, like the cancel culture, like the fear of being canceled, is also spurring on this um, interest in like these raunchy kind of tweets? Like, do you think that's also people are like, okay, if I can't tweet something that like raunchy, can someone else do it? And I'll just like, you know, eat it up basically. <laughs> I think so. Maybe. I mean, I think a lot of time, I think aside from just like the idea of being like scared of be of this cancel culture, I think just in general, a lot of people sometimes like, I I don't know if it's like me not caring or if people are shy. <laughs> it's just like just say it. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I would definitely say it's like unless unless your take is has the possibility of being like even just mildly problematic that's probably where like the whole idea of cancel culture mm. is like where people might be scared of cancel culture but it's like if it's just something crazy and it's not like anything super problematic then like i don't think <laughs> or even mildly problematic i don't think it's anything to be scared of <laughs> yeah yeah i think that obviously that like really took off in the u.s and then i mean we've got it quite we we've adopted it quite nicely here in south africa as well <laughs> And yeah, you just, you stay away from, like you said, like you mentioned, the problematic areas. Um, so going into, you know, being, having your degree in psychology and then transitioning into social, have you had issues, you know, around your internships and, and some of the, the earlier stuff you did where you had to kind of prove yourself that you, you qualified? Did you struggle with that because you don't have that piece of paper that says, listen, I'm a social media marketing person? Yes, I actually have. I have struggled with that a lot, actually. Um, and so I remember when I first graduated from college, it took me almost exactly nine months to um, to find a, to find a full time job. And so I remember I was like panicking because 
right when you hit the nine month mark after graduation, then you start, then you have to start paying for your student loans. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. And those students, <laughs> those student fees are mad. Yes. And it was crazy because I went into like all of these interviews and I was like, trying to sell myself but I think also at the same time like you know the college experience doesn't exactly teach you how to interview or how to approach like trying to find a job right so I was like okay well how then do I kind of position (laughs) myself and so right because I realized that obviously before I graduated that I didn't want to do like the whole mark, the whole doctor thing. Um, My senior thesis was on (laughs) in my cognition class. (laughs) So like super science, science brain kind of things. Um, They, all these people were doing like these like um, super complex projects and all that stuff. And I came in, I was like, okay, well, how do I take this knowledge and reframe it and make it useful within the marketing context? And so I created mine, uh, my, my senior thesis on cognition and digital media and how young people consume media and how that affects their cognition. And so <laughs> I went into these job interviews and I was like, listen. the average gen z person has like x amount of screens they spend x amount of hours this is how they behave on those platforms this is how it affects their brain and because it affects their brain and this way this is how we interact with people on the internet and i remember people just looking at me like i was crazy they're like what is this girl thinking like she this girl is not about to take biology into my marketing <laughs> class and i was like wait okay so i came into this i came into this one um one interview and i was very honest i was like i looked at this woman and she was like she i remember shout out to sonia Um, she was my idol I looked at her stuff and I was like oh my god this is what I want to do like I want to be her when I grow up (laughs) she was just like I felt like everything that she either one stood for or two worked on was something that I wanted to align myself with and I like looked her dead in the eyes. I didn't give her the runaround. I didn't give her any of the sciencey bullshit that I was giving everybody else. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm gonna be very honest with you. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm willing to learn. And this is what I know. And this is how I work. I have. And I was like, here, listen. If you have the work ethic and you're willing to learn, but you have kind of like more or less like an overarching like. Mm. Um, super high level knowledge of like what social media does and like you have your finger on the pulse and all that stuff like everything else all the tactical stuff can be taught and she like looked at me and she was like when can you start <laughs> and I was like there it finally. is sold <laughs> finally <laughs> but yes so in short yes I did struggle a lot with it <laughs> Because I think the the one thing is because um, social media is obviously gaining a lot of respect. Well, obviously over the past five years, I think five years ago is when it really 
hit you know that this is free marketing you know what i mean like you don't have to pay for a billboard or a tv spot or anything like that so you know there's not really many people who are technically like qualified by paper so it's it's always like you have to play this game of like listen i know how to structure tweets to hit a certain audience or when to post like the simple things that you know tom the ceo doesn't know and and i think that that's for me was one of the things was like coming into especially in sports because sports obviously relies heavily on broadcast and broadcast is slowly losing its i won't say it's losing its numbers but the numbers aren't there all the time where social media is always there so for you did you ever see like sports moving this heavily into social like back when you if you have to look at yourself in 09 when you thought you know i can make some crazy content did you ever think like (laughs) it would be at the level it is now where you know there's brands on brands on brands using the the platform for free um i think definitely back in 09 there was already such a very heavily engaged like sports demographic on twitter i'd say um there during that time i've i noticed that a lot of those people that were on there they were just kind of like live tweeting reactions to games and for the most part at that time like twitter was more focused uh at least well the twitter community was more focused on kind of like making friends within that space um building a community within that space and i think that there definitely was already kind of at that time i remember there the thing that the thing that was hot at that time were basketball forums things like lakers Mm. nation lakers ground i was like on all of those um platforms and they were kind of almost running social in a very like um like early branded social kind of way um i definitely think that i i think more of those people who were kind of power users on the internet at that time and power twitter users i'd say probably (laughs) is how how i would put it um saw that opportunity and what's actually very interesting is that i've noticed that a lot of those people that were just like me probably around 15 16 years old kind of like tweeting their hearts out every time a game was happening like ended up being social people like it's actually very funny because you know we're <laughs> I hear a lot of my friends that have kind of grown up with on the internet ended up being people who also work within the world of social um, and I think that when people started to get that and see like oh you can get thousands of people to talk mm. about the same thing at the same time people were like <laughs> well you we need to put money behind that because <laughs> if you can get that many people cuz there's not there's no other platform like twitter that can get that many people to talk about the same thing at the, the same time same time yeah 
it's it, it, Twitter is just a whole nother beast. <laughs> yeah, I feel like um, Twitter is what Facebook thought they would be, and and Facebook is like just. It's just for friends and family at this point in yeah. time. Like it's literally for the 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 birthday reminders and and that's about it. <laughs> yes, and it's so, it's so great because really Twitter is you can not only talk directly to your consumer, but li- if you do a quick search on Twitter, you can see if you're a brand, you can see exactly what people are thinking about your yeah. brand, your product. Or whatever it is that you're doing, all you have to do is do a quick Twitter search. It tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> yeah, and also because you know it's such a um, it's a platform that doesn't focus on aesthetic as much, like Instagram yes. or so people aren't worried about what is this gonna look like on my my feed. This is just like I'm yes. thinking I hate someone or I hate a product right now because they. <laughs> They don't give me value and then you tweet that out and then like you mentioned you just search it up if you're a company and you can see people aren't really your biggest fans at that moment in time yes social listening is um an underrated thing <laughs> yeah what would you say is um you know you mentioned now that you are kind of freelancing since covid has hit um if you know reflecting back on your career what would you say was your big break in in this space where you kind of felt you know imposter syndrome is a is a big thing so it's like where you kind of broke down that wall where you felt super comfortable in the space um, is it a specific I project would... or or a certain thing that you did that made you feel that way i would say that so my very first boss, um, this powerhouse of a woman, Sonia, was, I would say, probably the biggest, uh, played the biggest role in mm. making me feel confident about myself. Um, so when we were working together, she was my very first boss. And so let's see, I was like, what? Fresh out of college, maybe t- 24 at the time I was like 24 at the time fresh out of college and I remember one day she was she always like encouraged us to be very honest about like how we felt and what our experiences were like and I one day I just like looked at her and I was like bawling my eyes out because she asked me she was like is what's wrong what's and I was like I'm not good at my job and I was like bawling my eyes out and she looked at me and she was like that could not be (laughs) that that's that is not true and so I remember just like always being very honest and you know I would say like okay listen I I need help or I don't understand this and she, she was always there to kind of hop in and say like okay well this is how you should do this or maybe you should think about it this way or you should think about it that way there was always kind of like somebody there in my life that kind of helped direct and guide that thinking um and I just remember like you know we were we were at one point there were three of us working together it was literally just three of us (laughs) and (laughs) She would just say like, hey, you know, um, have you ever tried copywriting? 
And I was like, no. She was like, let's try it. <laughs> so there was never, there was always like an opportunity for me to try something and an opportunity for me to be bad at something. I think when you give yourself gr the grace and the ability to try something out and fail at something, that I think kind of really helps you um, get rid of that like idea of like, hey, I'm not good enough because it's like, okay, you might not be good at X, but you could be really good at Y. And just that whole process of like trial and error and always having someone there to kind of like back me up and say, hey, um, <laughs> you can actually do this or no, you are not bad at your job. <laughs> Um, that made a world of a difference. Um, I don't think that I would be as well equipped to be freelance. And I don't think I would be as confident if I didn't have like a mentor and like a boss in my life that kind of gave me that opportunity to, um, to, to try things out and yeah. be bad at things and also be good at things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's and that's something that's quite um, hard to find, really, because yes. because it's work and like there's money involved, like the ability to mm -hmm. put yourself in various positions is very hard to come by because yes. the, the, the whole thing is like if you don't do it well, then you might get fired if it's another mm -hmm. boss. You know, there's there's so many yes. factors in it. So I, I think that's that's really awesome. Do you think that, um, I don't know, what's what's your take on media, social media marketing and social media space in the U.S. right now? How do you think um, the split is between male, female? I know that's like a very common question, like the, the space. Like, what do you think is the current split? And do you think women are like fairly represented in the space? Um, you do you mean like within you would say let's, probably let's, like the people that I work with? Well, let's actually narrow it down even f like into a category of social media. So, for instance, in the sports media game in America, do you think that women are you are seeing more women in social media or more women than before? It's actually very interesting because I what what a lot of people don't really realize is that within the world of like sports and social media like they're more than likely the person that's behind the, the account for maybe your favorite team it's likely a woman which is actually very interesting i I, I I kind of feel like it would have been the other way around, which is kind of odd when you think about it. Um, I mean, there it's actually I would say that major I would it's weird because oh now that I think about it, <laughs> like I've noticed that in the agency world, there it skews heavily towards like male, specifically white male. And then as we kind of like look within that like sports media, maybe the person who runs the account for your favorite team, then it's like skews heavily female, which I'm actually very curious to know what the reason is. <laughs> um, 
there is obviously still lack of diversity in terms of yeah. like women so it's like yes like we would like to see more women of color in mm. that space um but it's it still does skew heavily towards women which is actually very interesting i'm curious to know why that is <laughs> and the reason why i asked you that was because over the past you know since lockdown basically i've also kind of um, because I run, for instance, like golf specific um, social media accounts. So if there's a certain tournament going on, I run the account for the sponsor. So it'll be like, for instance, if it's the um, Honda Classic, I'll run Honda's account mm-hmm. kind of thing. So because of that, I said, you know, over this period, I'm going to be interacting more on Twitter with like minded people just to see, you mm-hmm. know, the opportunities maybe can leave south africa for a bit um but i did find that um a lot of the nba nfl as well um the accounts were run by women you know because it's in their bio so you can see and Mm -hmm. my thing is i think that the reason why it skews heavily towards women in that space is because of the volume of tweets coming in and i Mm -hmm. feel like and I'm not trying to generalize here, but I feel like women can handle can handle that better than men in a sense that they can give the attention and they're not as impatient and lack of emotion towards people. And it does sound like a heavy generalization towards both genders, but um, mm-hmm. I find the reason why I do social media well is because I can multitask and I'm doing so many things at so many frequencies basically and i think that's Mm -hmm. maybe why women are dominating that because they can do it so well they're not leaving any stone unturned (laughs) master multitaskers yeah (laughs) and also it's the emotion like there needs to be emotion in the you know the social listening like you mentioned and i think um if you look at the way the comments go from these accounts Mm -hmm. don't you think like and it's it's kind of ironic that they're tweeting a female to these accounts but when the female comments as a fan the female gets like destroyed like oh you don't know what you're talking about did you even watch the game and i'm seeing this like (laughs) more and more and i'm thinking do you know who's running the account like what what's going on here maybe it's the callousness that kind of like grows as you um kind of participate in social as as a woman you're just like hey you want to hurt my feelings you can't (laughs) i'm a woman on twitter in sports twitter (laughs) and so they're like you know what you're hired because you can't get your feelings hurt anymore (laughs) no i i just i mean that's that's kind of my take and um it's just interesting to me i mean same like how it is for you because you you would think that it would be a male running these accounts yeah it's actually very it's very interesting it's kind of that's that is definitely something i need to look into i would like to ask that question to the timeline (laughs) and i will let you know what my responses are perfect perfect and would you would you look into you know you've had your experience working with brands some very high profile brands and you've worked in the sports you know sports media would you prefer working for a sports brand for instance like a nike adidas or would you rather lean more into sports specific like an nba team or 
something along those lines like what what is your preferred um job right now like if you have to if you could walk into any job right now what would it be ooh and why that's a great question i personally so i actually explored the team side for a while i was like oh well so a couple uh back in 2019 i was one of the like final um final candidates for a role uh, at the lakers <laughs> oh that would have been a dream come true that would have been a dream come true i just i know the i know historically the organization i know how that fan base reacts to different things but like as i've started to kind of think more about like what that next move is i've realized that like so i got my start in brand strategy prior to doing social stuff so it's like imagining like what that mission that vision how do we position this brand like and then kind of taking that knowledge that like or taking that foundation that we've built and then translating it to social and i've realized like that my brain thinks from a like a very brand perspective mm. same <laughs> and so um, um i would say that my i've found a lot more I found that I'm a lot happier when I'm working in terms of brand for specific like kind of like for athletes. And so okay. for example, like it might be like Le- like maybe it's a sneaker for LeBron James and he drops or and he drops something and then we have to kind of drop like this like story that speaks to the brand. I think that that is definitely where I um it's like my sweet spot um it's definitely something that i'm best at um i think when it comes to um sports teams a lot of the work that comes out is reactive that's mm. not to say that there's obviously not a brand you know aspect of it cuz there is a huge brand aspect to it but i think i like to take more time to yeah. <laughs> to create content and that rapid fire like oh my god are we going to miss a dunk that we're going to react to yeah. or holy shit what's happening and we need to work fast and we need to work quickly i like to have a little bit more thought out like oh i have uh <laughs> maybe a whole week yeah. <laughs> and a week is generous <laughs> to come up with some concepts for um content i think definitely that whole reactive space and uh is not for me <laughs> now that i've thought about it i'm like ooh yeah no i'm good <laughs> do you think um that's also but i think maybe that's where you could go into kind of just more strategic and not maybe more hands on mm-hmm. for instance because yeah sports twitter like on the actual accounts are quite rapid fire um especially when mm-hmm. it's a game day or something of that sort like you literally yes. putting out basically an and a special in like <laughs> in like 2 hours <laughs> yes <laughs> basically uh, <laughs> what would you say um <laughs> what would you say is the current landscape you know for you how are you looking at social media right now there's obviously a lot of 
you know, with Congress meeting with Zuckerberg and and um, Jack quite often, you know, mm-hmm. speaking about listen, um, you know, privacy and the the whole thing about you know privacy. That's the main thing right now. For you as someone involved with social media, what's your take on it? And do you see the good and bad? Yes, it's it's it is it's a it is complicated. I mean, because really, real it's actually very fascinating to me because what with the conversation that I've as I've kind of like listened to the conversations happening around you know um, social media and the whole idea of oh free speech and we get to say whatever we want. Um, it's very interesting because, you know, they've, a lot of people and, you know, politicians and, you know, you you think about like Donald Trump and he's like no longer on any (laughs) social platform. So now his phone is basically a brick. Um, (laughs) and it's very interesting because they look, they, people now view social as their way to talk to the world when really realistically, if you are a politician you have the ability to release a statement whenever you want <laughs> you can have you can you can say you can release a statement however you like whenever and however you want but now when you think about all of these different platforms like really realistically like they're for the most part like I, I I think it was um I think it was the what was his name there's a guy um Serena Williams's husband oh, <laughs> Reddit um, guy yeah the Reddit guy <laughs> yeah um, and he think... said um he said these are private companies and really realistically much like any other business they have the right to refuse to put you on a platform yeah they have the right to refuse to give you access to their business or their platform which is actually very fascinating but it's like also one of those things where it's like damned if you do damned if you don't kind of thing where it's just like no matter what decision any of these platforms make people are gonna be upset yeah um (laughs) so it's just a very it's just a very touchy thing i think for i think specifically now because everybody's on edge everybody's upset with at least one thing (laughs) in the world it's just gotten a lot more complicated yeah and now that everybody's locked inside they're like what am i supposed to do i'm gonna scream into the void (laughs) exactly and then i'm gonna complain that and well i'm gonna find faults in the void as well because you're literally spending so much time (laughs) in that void um doom what would you yeah exactly doom scrolling um what would you say is you know what should people know if there's you know a young or old person out there who's looking to get into social media what would you you know what advice would you give them about the the environment that they find themselves in right now what should they you know how do they approach social media if they are new to the job Oh, if you're new to the job, I would say, first things first, know your audience. (laughs) Know your audience. Um, I would say diversify the feed that you have. So what I mean by that is with following different people, Mm. following different POVs, um, different contexts, 
So maybe someone on the brand side can learn from somebody on this, like who runs social for a sports team. I'd say lean into that community because when you start to um, get deep into that and you um, start to, you know, gain knowledge on different contexts, how different people view things, how people approach things, um, that is the most, that's where I think you will learn the most. I've noticed that I've learned a lot about social. <laughs> I've learned the most about social um, from working in contexts that I truly do not care about. <laughs> I've learned the most when I've worked um, not on sneakers, not on sports, but on furniture, um, on cannabis, on random things. <laughs> um, open your mind um, when you can, when you understand people and you fully immerse yourself in those different communities that I think is the greatest that's the greatest position that you can put yourself in because if you can get all those learning opportunities all the tactical stuff can be taught yeah so it's like yeah okay cool like that not your knowledge of culture your knowledge of community is indispensable you can always find someone who can crop something to a 16 by 9. <laughs> all that stuff is easy. Um, but if you have like all of that knowledge, you'll be indispensable. And the graphic That's designers awesome. were slamming their keyboards, you know, when they hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I actually had a guest on yesterday. Um, I recorded an episode. She was based in Miami. Where are you mm -hmm. currently based right now? I'm based in LA. And do you think that plays a massive role in, well, obviously with COVID, that kind of changes the game a bit, but pre-COVID, being, you know, in LA, does that give you a certain, like, advantage based on location? Like, with getting certain jobs, do you find more opportunities when you are in these big, hyped-up cities, like your... New York, San Francisco, LA, those kind of areas. I think definitely we're being in like a major city and specifically a major city where there are a lot of brands um, like headquartered here. There mm. are lots of agencies. Yes, that plays a huge role, I would say. Um, but interestingly enough, um, <laughs> be in the once the pandemic hit, I realized yeah. that actually all of my opportunities came from outside of LA. <laughs> all of my opportunities are now with projects for people in in either New York or Portland, which is very odd. Which I thought was like, oh, well, maybe I would be able to find more work because I'm based in LA. But exactly, <laughs> you played yourself because that was very <laughs> wrong. <laughs> Does that play into the psychology of it as well? Like now that you don't need someone to be in your office, like now you can literally hire anyone because the excuse of, you know, being in for a meeting is no longer like mm -hmm. I can't get to the office or I can't fly from New York to LA. I can just hop on a Zoom and we can do what we need to do. Mm -hmm. I would definitely say that it's given people, creatives, a lot more opportunities so it's like mm. somebody who lives in i don't know oklahoma 
might now have an opportunity to work on things in LA. And it kind of opens up that like whole bubble that we've kind of been <laughs> working in. It's like I've noticed like when um, when it comes to people like in L.A. or other like major cities, people just kind of keep it's just a cycle. Everyone yeah. just kind of just keeps rotating. But now that like obviously we're like pandemic, we're in the middle of a pandemic um, people f- with varying perspectives um, have kind like there's now an opportunity for brands and companies and agencies to bring them in and having that fresh perspective is actually really great for the brands but it also makes competition a lot <laughs> more difficult yeah. for people trying to find jobs so which I think that kind of plays into a uh, part of the reason why I'm now being forced into the freelance life <laughs> And you mentioned the freelance life. You obviously have experience working for agencies and now you almost a year in on freelancing. Mm-hmm. What are some of the pros and cons for both um, ways of operating as a creative? Mm. So I would say pros for being full-time, um, having a full-time job, working for an agency, is um to be very honest insurance <laughs> plain and simple i'm just here for the health care <laughs> um one insurance two steady flow of work you don't ever have to wake up and say oh my god i have to go chase a project because i need to pay some bills yeah. Um, I would say that if you are in a an agency setting and you have great leadership and you ha- are surrounded by good people, you have an opportunity, a long-term, a long-term opportunity to learn from those people. I would say that when I was working at working full-time jobs and working under um, different leadership that I had, learned a lot from those people that I worked with and because I had access to them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I almost, I would say. Um, But pro about being freelance, you can say no. (laughs) You get to pick and choose what it is that you work on. If you decide like, hey, I'm going to work on solely sports-related content, then you can do that. Whereas if you're in, in an agency, they're like, hey, we got a new client. You got to learn how to sell something like, I don't know, Clorox. Um, figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> I can't say, oh, nope, not working on yeah. that. <laughs> you get to now choose and kind of determine what opportunities you pick. Um, that, um, I would say that you are exposed to a lot more people. Your network grows a lot faster. When you touch more people, touch more projects, um, that is definitely a pro. And you kind of get to decide, like, what is my schedule? I might work best at 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, sometimes I during the day, I'm just like, listen, my deadline is not for another two days. And my brain is not working, and it's 2 in the afternoon. But 2 in the morning... Let's get it. <laughs> it's <laughs> very it. possible to kind of work. And just as long as you get your work done, it's very like flexible, which helps me a lot because my brain, I'm very much a night owl. <laughs> but your Twitter game is, is 24-7. <laughs> <laughs> 
takes bow. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, like, sometimes I'm like, because obviously there's a big time difference between where you are and where I am. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably middle of the day for her. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. Anna's tweeting. <laughs> and then I'm like, it's like, she should be sleeping now, surely. Like, come on. And I'm like, the I'm tweets are still awake. going. And then it's like three minutes ago. And I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah it's a never-ending cycle gotta love <laughs> I'm it i'm always awake <laughs> <laughs> um just a few more questions uh the sneaker game i'm i've kind of grown fond of um i'm obviously not a, a sneaker head um to the extent where i'm buying because to be honest the the prices are just ridiculous um yes. <laughs> What is your take on where the sneaker game is right now? I know Complex is one of the biggest players in that game in the US in terms mm-hmm. of content, pure content for the, the sneaker um, category, if you want to put it that way. What do you think of what they're doing? Because I'm a, I'm a massive fan of Full Size Run. I don't know if you watch it or if you have watched mm-hmm. it. Um, do you think the way that sneaker culture is right now is a healthy step for them you know looking long term it's actually very interesting because i've noticed over the past couple of years um that influencers more than anything have affected the way that people see sneakers in Mm. comparison to maybe before so i would say like for and what i mean by that is (laughs) it's now it's now shifted from i think smaller communities to more people who are like (laughs) i see kylie jenner wearing a pair of dunks and i really like that so i'm gonna wear them um i i've noticed that it's made it's 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 now shifted towards a larger audience um i would say that and in doing so it's kind of it's <laughs> it's frustrated a lot of the people within that world yeah. because with a larger audience means you have less opportunity to start you know to pick up something to, that to pick up your favorite for. sneaker yeah exactly and i think that because of that and the whole idea of people posting things just to post it on social or like you know how they say clout is like a drug (laughs) um it's it's been a very interesting shift because you see people who prior to that prior to like this whole like surge of like social media influencers and people wearing sneakers because kylie jenner wore them (laughs) like you see a huge shift in the way that (laughs) um people have been able to uh in the way that people have viewed sneakers so it went from people who just buy it because they enjoy it and then there are people who buy it because they want to post it on the gram (laughs) yeah just either either way it works very well for those for brands like nike brands like adidas because it's very interesting you have such a loyal fan base that like they are going out and they're creating content for you you don't have to ask them to do free marketing (laughs) exactly (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, for me, it's almost like um, sneakers have become like basically, like you mentioned, like clout. You know, it's like clout currency. Mm-hmm. It's like how, how if you have a certain sneaker, you've achieved certain clout. Like now you, yeah. because you have the um, Jordan ones that only 10 were released because you have the one pair you've now <laughs> ascended amongst uh, your group of friends and i think that's that's quite crazy um have you yourself um ever found yourself kind of falling into the the hype beast um trend in a sense where you'd buy or you'd try and buy something just based on the limited qual- uh, quantity i i personally i i have not so okay. i actually had a conversation <laughs> about this and it was very interesting because someone was like oh well why do you why do you like it so much and i was like you know one of the very interesting things about basketball as a sport is that it is one of the it is such an interesting it is it is as much a sport as it is a lifestyle right and i say that because when you think about the intersections of culture that come with the world of basketball whether it's music whether it's like clothing because you know people are wearing it as lifestyle clothing now um whether it's you know all of these different pop culture references and all these like intersections that come in with it um one of the very interesting things about it is like the whole feeling that these different kinds of sneakers can evoke in your consumer, right? So say, for example, like somebody might be buying, I don't know, uh, flu games, um, <laughs> the flu, ga- <laughs> flu games because they're like, okay, well, I watched this game when I was a little kid and I saw like I saw the flu game. And so like there's an emotional connection to it or people are buying like a bunch of Kobe's because they um, have an emotional connection to Kobe Bryant and they grew up a Laker fan and he was their idol. A lot of it is like a kind of like that emotional connection to different moments, different stories and different sneakers and how that plays mm-hmm. into that. And that definitely for me has been the reason why <laughs> I was like so heavily into it. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> but this one was in the movie that I watched when I was a little <laughs> kid and I didn't have money yet. I need to buy mm. this. <laughs> and you, you would know about the psychology then the effect on <laughs> your mind <laughs> watching all of this. And then acting on that behavior. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, Look I at know me validating issue, my research. <laughs> <laughs> this is going in a case study, um, sneakerheads and psychology. It goes together perfectly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and the last question I have for you is um, being freelance, working for an agency, and in your time with your various agencies that you worked for, you worked with these massive brands um being freelance do you see it as a much difficult uh much more difficult thing to do to gather the or to gain you know clients clientele that's of that high quality or not high quality but high standard in in the game for instance like the brands like nike um mm-hmm. and also you did a lot of work 
you know, relating to athletes? Like, do you think it has to do with the agency, the relationship the agency has? Or do you think as a freelancer, you stand a chance to getting these type of clients? Um, it's actually been so the way the way that I've kind of been functioning as a freelancer is I've reached out to a lot of the agencies that I used to work for um, a lot of the people I've I would say that the community that I kind of have been, have had the pleasure of being a part of has definitely worked a lot within that brand space so uh, most recently, I've been doing freelance um, uh, as a freelancer doing content for the Nike app. And so okay. um, if you open up the sneakers app, you'll notice that there's a lot of like lifestyle content. Like here's a story about a sneaker and what the colorway means and all that stuff. And so we're now trying to transition all of that content over to um, the Nike app. Um, and so I've, I've been very lucky because um, majority of my freelance work has been within that larger brand space. I would say that it's actually more difficult to, at least for my experience, to land smaller clients, mm. mostly because I'd say that when with smaller clients, a lot of them don't quite see the value in what I do. Um, and, um, quite honestly, they don't really want to spend money on that. <laughs> yeah. And it's very, it's a lot easier to convince a brand like, uh, uh, to convince agencies or like larger brands to bring me on when they've already kind of historically been doing that. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it's a very, it's been an interesting experience, but I've been very lucky because I've as a freelancer, not everybody gets that uh, gets those opportunities to work on bigger brands. I feel like a lot of us kind of chase that. Do we kind of like, mm. oh, how can I add a Nike <laughs> project to my portfolio? <laughs> or how can I add like a major brand to my portfolio? Yeah, I've just been very fortunate in that sense. Oh, yeah. Have you ever felt pressured as someone in social to pick up other skills? For instance, like you obviously have copywriting under your belt and you know the strategy part did you ever feel the pressure to maybe pick up a camera and know your way around like because i mean we've all seen you know marketing twitter likes to highlight certain um job applications where the requirements mm -hmm. are like you need to be able to do everything under the sun really um <laughs> did you ever feel that pressure and how have you you know dealt with it did you end up just you know, learning how to do video, do photo edits, all those kind of things. I feel that pressure every single day, I would say. Um, so a couple of months ago, I was working, doing like strategy and social at a smaller place. And I remember they handed me a camera <laughs> And they said, go create content. And I, it was super fancy camera, mind you. Like, yeah, I've, I'm used to, if I do create content for myself, like it's very much like shot on an iPhone. <laughs> I mean, and it's good enough. I mean, it's, it's, it's good. It's great content. I'm, iPhone cameras are insane these days, but like, I, they handed me like this camera, this massive lens that was like bigger than my head. And I was like, 
I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so I have I I've definitely noticed that it's like for me if I had I mean granted, you know, obviously there's, you know, different things that come along different you know, complications that come along with having to juggle 86 different hats and do all of these yeah. responsibilities to only be underpaid um <laughs> there is value in that i think that um i i've definitely sat and thought to myself like yo if i could learn how to do a very great graphic if I mm. knew how to take great photos and if I took, you know, if I knew how to edit them and do all, edit videos and do all that stuff, I could be so much You could more be the Thanos valuable. of social media. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I think about that all the time, but it's like, okay, I will do that for you. I will do a five-person job if you want to pay me five people money. <laughs> <laughs> and then meanwhile, they're paying you half a person money. Yeah. Oh, trigger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and to close off, where can people buy your? I know you've got your t-shirts. Um, that's that's been going on for a while, eh? The catch lobs, not feelings. Yes, yeah, since twenty seventeen. Funny how, enough. <laughs> how how has that been for you? You know, seeing the, it's been quite a consistent. Um, support i mean it's it's gotten its attention on a regular basis now how has that been for you and and also you know just if you can give a little background to that before we we close off oh my goodness so hilarious story so back in 2017 i got my feelings hurt (laughs) (laughs) it's a little taylor swift story coming in so back in 2017 i got my feelings hurt and i was like you know what would be really funny if I just I this this line popped into my head. I was like, you know, what? I'm gonna put on a T-shirt, and me being the super cheap person that I was at the time and still am, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to pay like thirty dollars just to have someone yeah. like screen print it for me. And I found T Public, and I was like, you know what? They don't charge me like an insane amount of money to just get something printed so i put it up and literally just bought it for myself (laughs) (laughs) and i posted a photo of it and i thought and i was like haha and i posted on twitter and evan was like where can i find this like this is so (laughs) relatable and it was just so funny because i was like there is a there is an intersection a small community of people who will not only love basketball, but get their feelings hurt. Feelings hurt, yeah. (laughs) And it was just funny. So people started posting it. And it was such an interesting testament to how communities work and how communities can work for your own personal brand. Because if people like the product, they will post it more often than not, if it's Instagrammable at least. And yeah. so they, they, people started posting it and people with like 80,000 followers, 10,000 followers, 3,000 followers. And then before I knew it, like all of these people started wearing it to NBA games, posting it on Instagram. It was on NBA.com because somebody decided to go on a podcast on it wearing <laughs> that shirt. 
And then there was also another one on NBA TV. It was Valentine's Day. And somebody had <laughs> gone on NBA TV and was wearing a t-shirt, wearing the t-shirt. And they had a whole bit on why <laughs> it was important to catch lots of feelings. <laughs> and then some, and then I was watching Sports Center, and uh, I believe the it was Sports Center's like top ten players or something like that. Porzingis, this clip. Like somebody throws up a lob and he comes in and he throws it down and they're like Porzingis most amount of points in Knicks history for a single player or whatever, and then the the bra the reporter ends it by saying, um, and that's why it's important to catch lobs not feelings. And I <laughs> lost my mind. I was like, <laughs> then people like a started proud tweeting about it. Yeah, very much proud mom. And I was like, wow, it is selling itself. And before I knew it, like within I think a within about a year, about three thousand t-shirts had kind of sold themselves. Like no marketing plan. Like that's that's no, wild active i was not going out there and actively looking to sell a t-shirt like people sold the shirt for me like but that's also testament <laughs> to like your knowledge in the field like you know how it works you know what i mean yes <laughs> it, yes in essence yes <laughs> no that's i mean three thousand that that's that's a big number for for something that you like you mentioned actively didn't go out and market and try and sell I mean, yeah, it's very funny. Yeah, Valentine's Day is coming up, so <laughs> little promo going out there. Yeah, um, let's, let's, let's... Thank you so we much. You. I appreciate it. Of course. Um, Thanks for having me on. Where can people find you besides Twitter, or is Twitter like your main? Is that your domain? Twitter is where I'm entertaining. Um, Instagram, I am not entertaining, but I have the same handle on both. So it's at Animalissa. <laughs> cool. And I'll leave a link to the shop for your t-shirts in the description. And uh, thanks so much for joining. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you.